Father, we praise you for your presence with us. And uh, Father, we, uh, we uh, simply ask that, Lord, you would open us up to the deeper place that you have for us, God, in your river. God, of knowing your presence, of knowing your joy, knowing uh, you as our fulfillment. God, as the one who completes us. Father, help us not to miss you. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. As we uh, were in worship um, in the earlier service, uh, just sense the Lord speaking, and um, I feel like what he was saying, and I was kind of prayed into it right here, that a lot of times in church, we, um, especially in churches that we get like this, a lot of high energy, high level energy, we get caught up many times in the energy of a moment. And, and, and what I felt like God was saying is to say that's, the, that's, that's part of the river. That's part of the river. Um, and it's kind of that fast-paced, you know, part of the river. And if you read Ezekiel 47, there's a picture of the, the, this ankle-deep river and the knee-deep and the waist-deep all the way up over your head part of the river. And, you know, and, and when I felt like God was speaking in the moment, said, you know, there's a lot of people in worship, especially, they get caught up in the fun, ecstatic part, the energetic part of worship, and they love to get into that. And it's a, that's, a, that's a good part of the river. Uh, but I felt like God was speaking in that, that there was a... Um, and this is important because I feel like this is where a lot of us get, especially in our culture of church here in America, especially that we get caught in that energetic part of worship because that's the most fun part. It's the part you get to jump and spin around, all that kind of stuff. And what I felt like we're in worship this morning, and obviously this is a more intimate setting, and what I felt like God speaking was that, um, so see, there's a, there's a deeper part of the river that some people don't know exists. It's this deeper place that you can easily bypass it because it's just not as fun. But it's actually the place of healing, the place of depth. And so I love the energetic part. I love getting up and jumping around and stuff. I'd encourage you, if you'd like to do that, you're more than welcome to do that at Vintage and just spin around and jump. And, you know, Jesus does that over us, according to Zephaniah 3, just spins around us in joy. So do it, right? But please never miss the deep part of Jesus. That deeper part that's very easily overlooked. It's it's that um, you know it's like that almost like the lazy part of the river sometimes, but it's moving just as fast, right? It's just as important, if not more important, because really this in if you know Matt would know this as a trout fisherman, so it's side that when you get into a river, you don't catch trout in the super shallow water that's moving really fast, right? The fish they live in the deep part. That's the that's the deep hole, right? And so that's the place of life. That's the place of life. And so as we talk about then as we get into a worship. Um, you know, we want to enjoy the energetic part, but please never miss the deep part, the deep part, because it's where life is, and, and it's the part that really you connect with every day of your life, the place of Jesus bringing healing. When I felt like God was speaking is, hey, this, is, this place of worship, this deep place, it's where you don't have to pray for healing, for someone to get healed. It's because His presence some comes so real and thick in the deep part that healing just happens as His Spirit moves in and out of people. Listen, hear me real quick. Just hear me very clearly. Everyone look at me. Worship is a time of connecting with Jesus and a time of healing. You don't have to come up here and get someone to lay hands on you or they speak really loud and get all energetic in prayer. You just connect the deep part of the river and the healing occurs. And so when we come into worship, where are we going in worship? Will we come into a place where I don't have to lay hands on you for healing because it just happens? Because the Spirit moves so thick as we connect to the deep part of the river of Jesus that's teeming with life, according to Ezekiel 47. 
And so when we come in here and you want to get your groove on and start dancing, you do it up, right? But you connect with Jesus in the deep place because there's something deeper than I believe. But I felt like God was speaking, just to be completely honest, is most people are missing it. And so I'm just telling you not to miss it. How do you get there? Well, something you just got to begin to invest into. Say, Jesus, help me not to miss it. Help me to find the deep place. All right? All right. So, hey, do this real quick so I won't forget later. Take, the, take your baskets on this end for our tithes and our offerings. Just pass it on back down. If you fill out a Connect card uh, for the first time, this will be the time you stick that Connect card. Don't get to make it down earlier. So just take those baskets, get a Connect card, tithes and offerings, put those in the basket. That would be fantastic. I just want you all to know at Vintage, and this is kind of a testimony of God's faithfulness to us, at Vintage we've never been in the red. I had to ask someone earlier what that was, red or black, that was good with money. I couldn't remember. But we've always been in the black, and... And, uh, and that's a, that's a faith, that's God's faithfulness right there. You know, we're not, if you've been to Vintage, you know, we don't beat people. We don't do the 45 minute offering, right? To make you feel guilty to give money and promise you're going to get a big blessing at the end because it's just not biblical, right? We just don't do that. What we do is we simply come, we say, hey, you be obedient to Jesus and then watch what he does in your life, right? And so as we've done that and we've been obedient to Jesus, we've been in the black, right? People are giving, people are being faithful to giving and God's moving here. We've watched the last year of people who didn't have a job, they get a job, right? Because we, they've been faithful and been obedient to God and they've done that. We paid cash for everything that we did here at Vintage because of money that you gave and money that just came in. It was unbelievable, right? And so you reach this point and we built this out. We're like, okay, God, I just want to remind you. I'm just saying we kind of hit the, we're close down here in operating, you know, operating funds. It's time to begin to give back. And all of a sudden, man, we came in and said, what's going to happen to us? We're paying a monthly lease here. Man, we've been in the black every month. And it's been so good and God's been so faithful in that. And so, so number one, kudos to you all for being obedient. If you aren't being obedient with your finances, just start being obedient. No guilt tripping. That's real easy. If he's calling you to give, then you just start giving. And you're back on the obedience train. It's fantastic, right? That's the best train to be on, the obedience train, I'm just saying, right? Number two, kudos to Jesus for doing what he does. Hey, if you're faithful to me and much, I will continue to bless you with your needs, right? So he comes and says, hey, I see your needs. You don't need a big plane, so I'm not going to give it to you, but you got needs for, for all your bills. I'm going to give that to you, and, and above and beyond, it's fantastic. So all that to say, we're doing well. Thank you. Keep on giving and being obedient, and we'll all be good. All right. So last week, last week I, I named the place where we are at Vintage. If this is your first time at Vintage, your first time back in a long time, I'm going to kind of fill you in just nuts, just real briefly on where we are at Vintage. The word that names Vintage right now is the word transition. I said last week we are no longer official. We're no longer a church plant, right? But we've moved into church dumb, right? We were officially a church. We were always a church. You know what I'm getting at, right? We have moved out of planthood, and we we're kind of all of a sudden boom blossoming a little bit, and we've moved beyond that. And so that's really exciting. But with that comes a great transition. You know, we obviously Tate and Ashley aren't here. We're in this, uh, here are our worship leader and children's minister and did our youth, and we're in the season of transition, and all sorts of people are coming in, and we're in this place. And and so what I said last week, I named three things we felt like God was speaking in the moment here at Vintage about our transition. Number one is this something that God spoken to me back in May, which was this. Steve, I'm bringing vintage into a season of birth. And with birth come contractions and birth pangs, right? Birth pangs is something that hurts, right? It's not, it, it's painful and stuff. And so he said, if you, if a woman's pregnant, doesn't know it and starts having contractions and birth pangs, it's going to freak her out. Right, ladies? 
going to freak you out, right? You're going to be worried, anxious, all this kind of stuff. And, and so if you didn't know you were pregnant, it'd worry you. But if you know that you're pregnant and start having contractions and birth pangs, it hurts. You're not enjoying the moment, but you ultimately recognize what it leads to, which is, something that, which is, which is giving birth to a child, right? And so what God is speaking to us was that he's in this process of transitioning us from point A to point B, to bring about birth of this vision he wants to do in us. Bill Stevens gave us a word from Deuteronomy 1 saying, Hey, listen, Deuteronomy 1 is, Hey, you're camped out at Mount Horeb, Israelites. You've left Egypt, now you're camped out, and you've gotten comfortable, right? You feel like you could take a deep breath. It was a good kind of reprieve for a moment, a good pit stop. But hey, the promised land is out here, and it's time to get up from this place where you are and move towards, but let me, move towards it. Let me tell you. Don't fear, be dismayed. Why did he say it? Because they were fearful, they were worried, and they had dismay. Dismay is simply all of the emotional response to worry and fear, and they had it all, right? And so he's saying, don't worry. Why? Because I'm with you. Because I'm with you. And so this was the word, and then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of uh, Tuesday nights ago, Caitlin Barfield calls me and says, hey, Steve, that's a message. I said, I'm not sure what's going on at Vintage or anything, but I just felt like the word the Lord had for me was perseverance. I'm not sure if that means anything to you. I'm like, yes, right, it does. It means a lot to me, right? And so sitting there and God just said, she just said, if you will embrace a spirit of perseverance, then God will give you everything that you need. And I was like, that's fantastic. And so the word, I'm just going to read this to you because I wrote it down and I, and I liked what I wrote down. And so I'm just going to tell you what, hold on, if I can figure out where I am. One, two, three. There we go. Here we go. This is it right here. This is what I wrote down that I like. It says, keep your, this is where we are, nutshell. Keep your eyes on the prize of Jesus. Do not fear or be dismayed, for God has a vision for us as a people that we need to continue going after with perseverance. I'll read that again. This is kind of this nutshell where vintage is right now. Keep your eyes on the prize, vintage, the prize of Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on the vision of where you're going. Do not fear or be dismayed, for God has a vision for us as a people that we need to continue going after as we choose perseverance, as we strain toward what is ahead, not lying down, not staying camped at Mount Horeb, but moving towards the promised land that he has for us. That's where we are. Can I get an amen? amen. I just love saying that. All right. So when we get in these places of transition, like we talked about, they're not easy, right? Transitions are hard. These places in life, they're difficult. They, they produce fear, worry, anxiety, all this stuff that's going on, and we're in, this, in that place. And it's interesting when you get to those places in life, whether it's the death of someone in your family or, or whatever it may be is some massive hardship in life, what happens is this. You find yourself doing two things always. Number one, hopefully, you go and pray. God, what in the world is going on here, right? You're in that place having an honest conversation with God about the tension that you're feeling in this transition, in this moment of life. But probably what you're doing second to that is you're going and talking to someone else, right? You're talking to people, you're sharing what's going on, you're sharing your life, you're being vulnerable in the moment, you're having this conversation. And if this person grew up in the church and they know their Bible at all, they say, well, you know what Jeremiah 29.11 says. And they say to you, for I know, God says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. 
Every good Christian should know that verse. You just should just tell it to everybody, hey, you know what? God has planned for you. Are you serious? I'm being dead serious. Jeremiah said it. it's true, right? We just always quote that for people in their transition moments and these places of difficulty in life. And we love quoting that because, because when someone is quoted to you, you go, oh, yeah, he loves me, right? He has plans for me. He knows what's going on in my life. He's not, he's not confused like I am. He's not worried. He's not, and, it just, and ultimately, this message of hope fills us with hope in the moment. It's fantastic. And this is a, a very true message. And we should all be able to receive that in the moment of our transitions, in the moments of our difficulty. We should learn and hopefully get to this place where we're able to rely upon God in these moments and say, yes, He is moving. He has plans to prosper, not to harm me, right? He, want, he has hope for me. He has a future for me. I want to embrace that. And that is fantastic. It is true that He is fighting for us in these moments. But as we read this 11th verse of Jeremiah 29, we have to recognize that it's in context of Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10. And let me just say this to you. It's always important to read your Bible in the context of actually what it's saying. Right? How, do you know that every single Christian cult in the world was birthed out of somebody who pulled a single verse out and said, this is what God says, without reading the context of it, right? And put all this other stuff over here, and we're just good at doing that in the church. We pull out verses about what we should do in life. I'm like, no, 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 no. We pull out verses that say the exact opposite of what it's trying to say in context, right? And so this whole idea, like you pick your Bible up and says, and go kill the evildoer. Okay, God, right? That's a lot of context. And so we don't do that, right? And so anyway, it comes in the context of the moment here. And, and you have to recognize that he's speaking this verse in the context of a real-life situation with a real-life moment with a real-life recipient of the message. And what we find that in Jeremiah, he's speaking this to a people who are going through a specific situation of life. And so as we look at this transition moment in this people's life, we have to recognize that their transition can be, it's parallel, it's different, but parallel to ours. And there are things that we need to learn from Jeremiah in the context of what he's speaking here that apply to our lives in the midst of our transitions and our difficult moments of life. And it begins in Jeremiah 29, verse 1, which says this. This, about to read, is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so the person, so he's saying, hey, here's a letter I'm writing. And it's to every single person that used to have their house over here in Jerusalem. They used to live and go to the temple every single day. They had their businesses over here in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar decides this is the season to go after Judah. So he comes down into the southern kingdom of Judah, and he attacks them. That's when he takes in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story, right? And takes them all into captivity. It says he takes all, he, says he takes the priests, and he takes the elders, and he takes the prophets, and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar took into exile, who have been ripped from their homes, and now they're living over here. And basically the message says, and says the surviving elders, because I'm going to guess that somewhere along the way, either they got killed in the moment, or they died on the way, or something happened very quickly in the midst of them being taken into captivity. And this is a sad thing. 
And so we get in the context of Jeremiah 29 is simply this. You have a people who have just been ripped out of their homes, ripped out of their lives, been taken into captivity, where they have used to went from complete freedom to no freedom. See, remember, they were a royal people, right? A royal people who had been chosen by God, a holy bloodline. And, how, and now all they are are just plain and simple slaves. And they're here in the moment, having been ripped out of their home by a real, authentic enemy. When I started reading this, my first thought, for those of you who grew up in the, have some 80s in you, um, was uh, the, the, the movie uh, Red Dawn. You remember that movie, Red Dawn, with Patrick Swayze in it? He was so good looking. No, just kidding. He had Patrick Swayze there. He's the cool guy. And remember, it was Red Dawn. The commies were coming in. Remember that? For those kids, that means communists, right? They were communists, right? The commies were going to come, and they were, they were parachuting into the high school, and they get in their little their redneck, big, jacked-up truck with their shotguns, and they're going to go off into the woods now, and they got wolverines, and they're killing all the commies, right? And everybody's after them. It's this great scene, right? Because what you have is the, the commies had come in. Remember, they took America, split it in half, and the whole West Coast, all the way up to, like, right there in middle America, there in Omaha, Nebraska, about they'd cut the line. It was America over here, and now this Russian America over here is this... They'd come in and rip them out of their homes. You remember it was just terrible. They were, their lives were decimated. They were, the people who were kind of resistant, all of a sudden they're being shot and killed, all this kind of stuff. And that's what's happening here. This is, the, this is the picture I had. People being ripped out of their homes, their parents being ripped out, their children being ripped out. Now they're living in this slavery here with King, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's not a happy moment. It's just not. They have a real authentic enemy who is pushing against them. And so Jeremiah comes and he looks at them and said, Hey, well, listen, I've got a, God wants to speak into your tension. Talk about a transition from freedom to a living hell. From having a life to having no life. From happy-go-lucky to massive tension. This, my friends, is a pretty massive transition of life. And Jeremiah comes and he wants to speak into the moment. And he's speaking to a, to a moment who, with people who, who, when these difficulties come, what happens? Well, they get overwhelmed by it. And it's hard to focus on anything else. You know what that looks like? Have you ever had that where something happens in life that causes a transition and it messes with every single emotion inside of you, every single thought that you have, every single part of your heart that, that you're angry and, and, and tired and you're upset and just sad all at the same time and, you, and they're just even intertwined. You don't know what to do with it. And it's like you wake up in the morning and it's like you wake up and you're happy for a brief moment so you remember all of a sudden that reality of tension has happened and transitions occurring and everything's a living hell and you don't know what to do with it. And all this tension's going on. Like, oh, and you just feel this weight on your life and you're sitting there going, oh, I can barely breathe. I can barely live in the moment. I can barely make it. I, I can't even take another step in life. Right? It, becomes, it becomes hard to even continue living and to function because all that you can do is thinking about being overwhelmed in the moment by the tension and the issue. And you're living in this place. And you're living in the transition. And when Jeremiah comes, he's, he's looking and saying, I recognize this is where you are. I recognize that this is the context of your life. 
you are an emotional wreck. You try to put your emotions, always I see emotions, these two wires, you try to put them back together and you can't put them back together. It's like these shock waves, like, oh my God, you can't even do it, right? You're just living in this place and he's speaking to them saying, this is where you are. And I know you can, all you can do is either look backwards or you look forwards because you sure can't look at where you are because it's so overwhelming. And then he comes in Jeremiah in 29 and verse 4, he says, so let me give you practical advice of what God is speaking into the moment into your life. Listen to what to tell you because this is God's call on your life. So he comes into verse 4 and he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry And have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so... Whoever gets up and they begin to read this word from Jeremiah who's hiding off in the cave somewhere near Jerusalem. And they're sitting there in captivity. And all they're doing is the people is looking back to what they used to have. Trying to look forward. It's like a mirage out here saying, my gosh, is there anything, is there any hope out here in the future? And they're probably hating the moment. And they're probably sitting there thinking about how to exact revenge on the ones who brought them into captivity. They're probably sitting there, those zealous, those real men, like, what are we going to do? Let's form together and let's form a coup, right? Let's go see how we can overtake them. And let's, let's talk to Daniel. Daniel's way up there now. He's talking up there to the king. He's in, he's in special training over here. And with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's figure out what's going on with them. Let's, let's get this whole group together and see if we can overthrow them. And then Jeremiah comes and says, no, no, no. That's not the word, from, that's not the word of the Lord for you. And what we find here, I believe, are, I just want to name these three things I believe we see in the moment, this terrible transition that they're facing in the moment. Three very, very practical things that, I, that, that Jeremiah speaks. The first is this. Embrace where God has you. Embrace where God has you. Interesting here in verse 4 and 7, it says very clearly, it says, Hey, it was God. Because of your sin, it was God who carried you into exile. It was God who took you there. If God took you there, then he had a purpose for it. If he has a purpose for it, then there's something that he's trying to teach you in the moment. And he needs to be able to teach you that lesson before you can move on to anything else in your life. See, what we find here on one side is that that because of their sin, God had taken them into captivity. And in that place, there was something that God was trying to teach them in the moment. It was imperative that they embraced where they were because God has something to speak to them. But there are other people that are over here on this side who would say, listen, I didn't sin. I'm not in sin. I've got major transition. I've got major issues going on in my life. I'm, I'm sick and I didn't do anything to deserve this, right? There's, there's, there's um, this terrible situation that's happening at work or in my family. And I'm like, I don't know of any sin in my life. It's stuff that's happening to me. Good things happening. Excuse me, bad things happening to good people. And they're in a transition because of someone. Listen, someone died in my life. It wasn't my fault. God didn't kill him because of my sin. That's silly, right? No, no, there's just this whole thing. What do I do? And so what I want to say is this. 
No matter if God took you into this place because of sin, or if you find yourself in a place and God allowed the situation, right, and you happen to be there, what God would say to each person is, listen, I am in your moment with you, and you have to find me. If you're in sin, then you've got to find what I'm doing. If it's not sin, but you just find yourself in this place, because I'm always with you, I'm there with you in the moment. And what he says is, if you are there, then embrace me in the moment. Find me in the moment because I am speaking in the moment and I have something to tell you in the moment. And what happens for us, no matter where we are, we have to embrace God in the moment and find him. Because sometimes he won't let us go to point B until we've learned the things that he has for us at step A. We have to figure out what God is speaking in the moment. We have to embrace God and where he has us in the moment. We have to find him. God, where are you? And so what happens is this. We find ourselves and we're so defined by the issue. We're so defined by the moment. We're so defined by what's going on that we're only looking backwards. Remember how good it used to be? Or we're so looking forward. Oh my gosh, someday it's going to get good again that we can't even embrace the moment here. What God is saying is you have to stop looking here and you have to ultimately stop only looking here and you have to embrace the moment of where you are and learn from me. Listen, how many of you have talked to people have had who have struggled with cancer, had some sort of massive massive issue in life and almost every single one of them will say the same thing boy I never want to go through that again but I would never trade the lessons that I learned in that moment because I am where I am today because of the things that I walked through in that moment there you go this is where we are And so when we find ourselves in the moment, we find ourselves in the transition, we find ourselves in that place, you have to find God in the moment. You have to stop whining about what you lost and about looking forward to what you have to say. Now, God, I hate the moment. I hate being in captivity. I don't like these evil people around me. But you're in the moment because you never left me. You've never forsaken me, according to Hebrews. Therefore, if you're in the moment, then I've got to find you in the moment. And you must be speaking in the moment and want me to find something in the moment. We have to embrace where we are. Number two is you have to live life today. You embrace who you are and say, God, now this is where I am, so I'm going to live life today. Look at, I mean, look, this is so, this is so, this is the thing about the Bible. So many people think, forget that it's so practical, right? They try to read to this, oh, what's the special meaning of that verse? And it's really clear right here in verse five through seven. He says, so I want you to build houses. He wasn't talking about spiritual houses. He was talking about build a house. Get your hammer and your nails and build a house, right? Or whatever they use. Build houses and settle down. I want you to plant a physical garden so you can have food to eat because you've got to eat, right? And then eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, right? So that they too may have sons and daughters. And the idea is, listen, you're here in captivity. You're going to be in captivity for quite a while. Seventy years was their captivity, right? It's a whole lifetime. So go ahead and live life here. Go ahead and get married. It's okay. No one wants to get married in Babylon. I know that. Babylon stinks, right? We don't like Babylon. It would be so much cooler to get married inside of the temple where God's spirit dwells. But you're inside Babylon. Get married there. You have a story to tell your grandkids about, right? Go ahead and get married. And and listen, it's important to build a house. You've got to have some place to live. Build a house. Put your roots down. And he goes, and listen, I know this is the hardest part for you. 
Remember those evil people took you into captivity and you hate? Well, I want you to help them prosper. I want you to take all of your gifts and your energies and your resources and use them to help them to succeed because your prosperity, your ability to prosper in life is dependent upon it. Oh my gosh, this is so dang practical. See, wait, so live life today. So he's saying, listen, you've got to come into the moment. You've got to build houses. You've got to settle down. And you've got to live here in the moment. Sometimes when we find ourselves in this transition period, this difficult place, what happens? Well, we're sitting here, we're living life, and all we find ourselves doing is talking about how difficult life is, how frustrated we are, how overwhelmed we are. We talk about all the things going wrong, without all the people we don't like, and all this stuff. And so we're like this towards our problems, right? We're just focused. Focusing on problems. We're overwhelmed by them. They define every part of our life. We are defined by how... And then people say, man, I mean, this is like a three years ago. I was making so much money and I was blah, 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 right? But someday again, when the stock market comes back up and real estate comes up, I'm going to be doing well again. And they're living here and they're living here. And God says, listen, you're living today. Live life right now. Embrace life Build houses, settle down, live life right where you are. He, God's present with you, so the fruit of the Spirit is present. You can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all down the line, because He's present with you. Listen, my mom, a lot of you know the story of my mom. She died when I was 23 at the last semester uh, of, my, of my, my fifth year at college. I was a five-year guy. I loved college. There you go. And so, anyway, so I'm sitting there, and, and um, about 21 years old, she was, I was 23 when she died, and about 21 years old, and we lived on Lake Lanier, and so I called home, and one afternoon, I said, Mom, how, I said, what's going on? I talked about once a week. I said, how's it going? She's like, I'm good, I'm good. I mean, what you don't know about my mom is she had terrible physical problems. So all my life, I mean, to the point she couldn't leave her house sometimes. She had her left legs half the size of her right, so she'd fall. I mean, I'm talking like, boom, just fall about once every couple of weeks. And she was always black and blue in that. And I'd walk, I mean, it was just terrible stuff, right? She had stomach problems. She had back problems. She had head problems. She had a headache for 11 years straight, right? Never went away for 11 years. I mean, just terrible stuff. And, you know, we prayed. And we went to all these revivals. We did all the stuff, you know. We, and there's this crazy stuff that was going on. My dad and I have theories. But anyway, what was going on spiritually. But anyway, this is a dip. So she was just in, she was in pain. You got that, right? 24-7. Anyway, so... So, but she was just defined her life in so many ways. And so I called home. How are you? She's like, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm 21 years old. I've got a level, some level of discernment, I guess. I'm like, I said, really? She's like, yeah. I said, I think you're lying to me. And she just kind of stopped. I said, how are you really? And she just stopped and she just said, it's been a hard day. It's been a hard day. I said, really, what's going on? She's like, you know, she goes, it's just so hard, Steve. Every day. Every day, depression is in front of me, and every day I beat it down. Every day I fight against it. I sit here in this house all day long. My dad's working six days a week, and, you know, just he's always gone, and I wanted to be there, but it's just so hard. I sit at home by myself. I can't go anywhere. I don't know anybody where we live. And she said, it's just so hard, but, Steve, I'm fighting every moment of every day. And she said, today's just a little bit harder than the others. She said, but Steve, I want you to know I'm fighting as hard as I can to live life in this moment. Listen, my mom, she would go to the, she'd go to the little community center about once a week, and she would have these people who were doing a lot better than her physically, and she would just sit there and just minister to them. She loved Jesus, y'all. And she would just sit, hmm, dang it. 
So she would just sit there, she'd just minister to all these people. They'd come in and tell their stories about how, how overwhelmed they are. And the whole time she came home and she's like, Steve, it's really funny. I'm a whole lot worse than every single person in the room, but they have no idea. Because God's called me to minister to them. She, they, he's, she, God's called me to be Jesus to them. And so I'm just going to live in the moment. I'm just going to live life and just be there for them and encourage them and speak in their life and pray for them. You know, I've told you the story. I mean, she, would, she had the hotline for the, uh, um, uh, the crisis pregnancy center three nights a week. And so she always took the slot from like 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. And she would take these calls from these 12, 13, 14-year-old girls who were basically this lightning. They were basically calling to get, to get an abortion. And she would just t- try to sometimes talk them off the ledge. Most of the time they wouldn't. She'd wake up just, just wrecked mentally and emotionally because she would talk to these girls for three hours and they just hang up on her and then she had no idea what's going to happen, right? And here she is in the midst of her moment. She could have looked back to when she was 20, when she was in high school and she was a majorette dancing. Literally, she was doing it as a majorette in front of the president doing her stuff or talk about when heaven comes and she's going to be painless. But in the moment she lived there, she said, I'm going to live life for the moment. I'm going to be here fully in the moment, no matter if it's a living hell that I live in every day, and I'm buffeting depression every single day of my life. I'm going to fight with every fiber of my being in the hell that I find myself in, and I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to be obedient to him because I'm going to live life for the moment. I'm going to live life right now. And what Jeremiah is saying is, listen, build houses. Plant your crops You're in captivity. It's a living hell, but be here because God is here and your family's here with you and people are here. Live life. Live life in the moment. Don't just look to yesterday and tomorrow, but live life in the moment. And the third thing he says, and then this is the hardest part. He says, Dan, third part, be a blessing to others. Dot, dot, dot. And that especially means your enemy. The city they wanted to make prosperous was the very city of the enemy who took them into captivity. The one who had literally burned down their church temple. Who had literally destroyed everything in their house. Listen, several years ago I was watching ABC News with Peter Jennings, right? And I watched as, as they came in and they were talking about Israel and Palestine, the West Bank. The West Bank is this place where the border changes seemingly like every week. This is the Israeli border now. This is the Palestinian border. It's all back and forth all day long. And so I watched as they were filming this like suburban looking house, right? I was like, oh, it's a really nice house. And it was nice, you know, nice yard and a driveway going into their house. And they're filming and saying, here are the house. And they're going down. All of a sudden, you look down, and down about uh, about a hundred yards was this massive bulldozer making its way up the street. And they said, "Yeah, and the Palestinians are coming in, and they are now uh, coming in and taking over this new border that's been given to them by law just earlier this morning." And all of a sudden, pan back to this house where the bulldozer is going. Gets here, and it starts to turn like this. And as it begins to move towards the house, you see a man and a woman with their hands full of stuff come running out just as their house gets decimated. Completely toppled to the ground. Now you need to know, for all of you who love Israel, the Israelites do the same thing to the Palestinians. I'm just saying, right? God loves both of them. Okay? And so they're sitting there in the moment, right? But here they are. And now watch as they come running out. And all of a sudden I recognize that was that lady in man's house. That this person just bulldozed as they run away from it, watching everything they've lived for get destroyed. When Jeremiah says, be a blessing to others, when he says, hey, why don't you pray for their prosperity? He's talking about the very ones who just came and bulldozed their house as they were running out of it with their hands full of everything they could hold. 
If someone came to your house today and burned it down and then laughed at you as they drove off, you're not going to pray for them. I'm just telling you. You're not going to go, I love you, man. See ya. All you want to do is exact revenge on them. You want to beat them up. You want to make, you want an eye for an eye. You want the Old Testament again. You want the eye for an eye, right? You want to just destroy everything in front of them. This is what, and Jeremiah is looking at him saying, listen, you can't do that. You have to be a blessing. You have to be a blessing to others. You have to come and seek their prosperity even though they are your enemy. Get the context here, right? This is overwhelming for us. You know, the words peace and prosperity here in the Hebrew is the word shalom. So when he talks about prosperity, he's not talking just financial prosperity. He's talking about the peace and the well-being of your entire body, soul, and spirit. He's talking about peace and prosperity as the shalom. This is a huge word in, in Jewish culture, shalom. Peace to every part of you that's not at peace. Wholeness to every part of you that's not in wholeness. Healing to every part of you that does not have healing, right? Every area of prosperity and peace, I want to speak it into you. And so what, this, is, this is the part, I'm gonna just, you've got to hear me on this. So I'm going to take you in a little bit to the heart of the context of the entire Old Testament here. When he, seeks the pros- when he says seek the prosperity, you have to recognize all Jeremiah is doing is revealing the mandate that was giving to, given to, uh, to Abraham back in chapter 12. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to make you my people so that you will be a blessing to all the nations. All the nations will be blessed through you. And so what happens here is the great sin of the Israelites was not sexual sin or idolatry. It was that they never actually became a blessing to every other nation. And so God says, well, I'm going to have to judge you for that. So I'm going to, be, make you, I'm going to force you to be missionaries. I'm going to actually let this country take me to captivity. You're going to go and seek their prosperity so that I can be their God now. This is huge. This is like something you miss in the Old Testament. The Israelite, the greatest sin of every Israelite, was that they never were a blessing to the nations that didn't know God. They thought the blessing was for themselves. How many churches today say, go seek blessing for yourself? As they miss the call of God that was given in chapter 12 to be a blessing to all the nations. I bless you for one purpose, to be a blessing to everyone else, that you'll give everything away to those who are in need. You aren't doing it, so I'm going to take you into captivity so that you can be a blessing there, so that they will now learn about Yahweh, the one true God. You need to be a blessing there. Why? Because as you bless them and they prosper, they will learn about who I am and in that you will prosper. If you want to be, a, if you want to be blessed and be prospered in your life, you have to do it by being a blessing to others. That's where it begins. And he's saying this. So Jeremiah says, hey, it's not about revenge. I know they destroyed your house. I know they destroyed our temple. But the call of God is simple. Be a blessing and love your enemies. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4, Paul says, I, or, says to Timothy, I urge then, first of all, before you sit down, the first thing you do when you pray is that all requests, all prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. 
including your enemies, for kings and all those in authority who were oppressing them at the time, that we may, again, remember in context, he's saying, pray for your kings and those in authority, but they're the ones who are oppressing us. I know. It's the first thing you're supposed to pray for every time you sit down, right? Make prayers and intercession and thanksgiving for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live in peaceful and quiet, excuse me, may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is a good, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the call of God. In the context of our transition, for vintage, this is his call. Embrace where God has you. Live life today and enjoy it. Suck the marrow out of life in the Dead Poet Society, right? And be a blessing to every single person around you. That's the idea. If you're in a living hell, what do you do? You live life. You embrace, you, you embrace where God has you in the moment. Find him in the moment. Live life to its fullest in the moment and be a blessing to others. That's how you find prosperity and blessing in your life. And so, when, so all of that, he said, this precedes, here we go, this precedes verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What's the context? Well, that you are embracing where God has you. You are living life today and you're being a blessing to others. That's where we miss the context. We wanted to suck that verse out. Yeah, I love that verse. And God says, well, are you embracing where I have you? Are you finding me in the moment? Are you living fully today in the midst of your hell? And are you blessing and giving everything you have away to others? That is the context of me coming and saying, I have a plan for your life, plans to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Put the Bible in context. Make sure you read the verses before a verse and after the verse to get the context of what God's expectation is in the moment. This is God's word for us. So take a deep breath. Name the issue, the situation, the stuff going on. And embrace where God has you, where you find him in the moment. Live life to the fullest, where you stop looking about, talking about yesterday and talking about a, a future out here somewhere. And live life in the moment and be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Father, we love you.